Coming up next on the Passion Struck Podcast. The foundation of where my work started, it was really out of self-necessity. I was in a place where as I looked around like midway through my career, as I was leading teams, as I was looking at my peers, even trying to find someone above me that looked like me or had a very similar uh, path or just goals, it was challenging. And even though there was one moment in my life where I literally had everything I thought I ever wanted, I didn't have happiness and joy. Welcome visionaries, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, leaders and growth seekers of all types to the Passion Struck Podcast. Hi, I'm John Miles, a peak performance coach, multi-industry CEO, Navy veteran, and entrepreneur on a mission to make passion go viral for millions worldwide. And each week I do so by sharing with you an inspirational message and interviewing high achievers from all walks of life to unlock their secrets and lessons to becoming passion struck. The purpose of our show is to serve you, the listener, by giving you tips, tasks, and activities you can use to achieve peak performance and pursue the passion-driven life you have always wanted to have. Now, let's become passion struck. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 119 of the Passion Struck Podcast. And thank you to each and every one of you who comes back weekly to listen and learn how to live better, be better, and impact the world. And I wanted to use this opportunity to showcase some of the incredible guests we have upcoming over the next few weeks. Let's start off by talking about Susan Kane, who is New York Times bestselling author of the book Quiet. She will be coming on the podcast next week, April 5th, to introduce her new book, which releases the same day, titled Bittersweet. We also have upcoming Kathy Heller, the host of the Kathy Heller podcast, Jordan Harbinger, who is the host of the Jordan Harbinger show, astronaut Nicole Stott, and then later in May, we will have on Admiral James Stavridis, who will be introducing his new book, To Risk It All, on May 25th. And if you have friends or family members who you would like to introduce to this show, we now have episode starter packs, both on Spotify and on our website. And these are collections of your favorite episodes that we group by topic to give any new listener a great way to get acquainted to everything that we do here on the show. Just go to passionstruck.com slash starter packs to get started. And if you'd like to watch these episodes in addition to listening to them, you can go to our YouTube channel at John R. Miles. Please subscribe and enjoy over 250 different videos. Today's guest on the podcast is Dr. Janelle McCauley, who is a combat veteran with over 3,000 flying hours who spent 20 years in the United States Air Force, where she became the first leader to introduce mindfulness as a proactive performance strategy. She specializes in high performance under stress with a holistic approach. She's the co-founder of Warrior's Edge, a high performance mindset training program she developed with Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seattle Seahawks, and high performance sports psychologist, Dr. Michael Gervais. Dr. McCauley is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy, holds a master's in kinesiology from Penn State University, and a PhD in the field of strategic health and human performance. And in today's discussion, we go into why she made the decision to attend the U.S. Air Force Academy and follow in her family's legacy. Some of the biggest lessons that she learned 
from training to be a pilot and her most harrowing flight experience. We discuss what made her start mindfulness and why she started introducing it to her military commands. What's the difference between somebody who believes you can change and somebody who can't? Why she believes that people who are world-class in anything that they do are paragons of passion. She goes into how to control an internal environment of a business. And we talk extensively about her relationship with Pete Carroll and so much more. Thank you for choosing Passionstruck and choosing me to be your host and guide on your journey to creating an intentional life. Before we begin, I would like to emphasize that this podcast is part of my hope and desire to bring zero-cost information to the general public about how to create an intentional life. In keeping with that theme, I would like to thank the sponsors of today's episode. Did you know that 90% of coffee from the grocery store is actually stale? You heard that right. And think you love needs an upgrade. Instead of buying the same old, same old, let trade coffee send you something freshly roasted that you're literally guaranteed to love. I personally really enjoyed taking their free coffee quiz, which helped me pinpoint the best option for my particular taste. I am currently drinking their Panther coffee, which comes from Guatemala. I love how it has taste of chocolate, black cherry, gala apple, and is so sweet and creamy. And for our listeners right now, Trade Coffee is offering $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash passionstruck. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash passionstruck and start your journey to your perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com slash passionstruck for $20 off your first three bags. Thank you 10,000 for sponsoring this podcast. Physical health is essential for me and forms the very foundation for achieving elite performance and high cognitive ability. If you're like me, it's hard to find training products that are built strong enough to stand up to my hit classes, gym days, spin classes, CrossFit, and everything else that I do. That's why I absolutely love 10,000 Apparel and their dedication to continuous improvement. Their name reflects Malcolm Gladwell's prescription for perfection, and 10,000 is so true to that philosophy. I especially love their versatile, lightweight, breathable shirts and interval shorts, which feature an optional liner. They actually have a team of over 200 athletes testing their gear to ensure that they're creating the perfect fit, fabric, trims, and design. 10,000 is offering Passionstruck listeners 15% off your purchase. Go to 10,000.cc and enter code PASSIONSTRUCK to receive 15% off your purchase. That is T-E-N-T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D dot C-C and enter code PASSIONSTRUCK. Please consider those who support the show and make it possible and free for our listeners. And I know all these codes can be difficult to remember, so we put them in one spot at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, let's get on with our episode with Dr. Janelle McCauley. So excited to welcome Dr. Janelle McCauley to the Passion Struck Podcast. Janelle, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you, John. Well, I always love interviewing guests, but especially when they're fellow veterans. So excited to have you on here today and hear your amazing story. So I think for the listener, a great place we could start is similar to my background. We won't, we both went to service academies. 
Um, I know why I went, but I'm, I'm always interested in finding out why does someone leave the comfort of going to civ- civilian university to go to a service academy? So what was that big draw for you? Yes, it definitely takes an interesting uh, pe- person to go the academy life. Um, so I like to talk about when I was growing up, I grew up in a family of Marines, um, two grandfathers that, that served in the Marine Corps. My uncle also was a helicopter pilot and used to take me to the air shows. Um, and then my dad was a police officer. My mom was a nurse and my dad used to do this thing where he would, uh, tell any stranger we would meet. And I distinctly remember this as like a seven-year-old. He would say, my daughter's going to grow up and be a combat pilot or a submarine warfare commander. And these strangers would just like beam and be, oh my gosh, you, you're going to go do that kind of thing. And I had no idea that back in the 1980s, when he was saying this, those jobs weren't even open to women, um, right? His goal was just to inspire me to really dream big and, and be anything I wanted to be. And so um, I think the repetitive nature of that conversation he would have uh, kind of instilled something in me about wanting to do something bigger than myself. Plus, coming from a family of public servants, I think I had a calling to serve in some way. And then my uncle, he flew President Reagan and Marine One. And I remember going out to uh, Washington, D.C. and getting to see the helicopter. And every time he would even come into Southern California, that's where I lived at the time, we would get to go see the helicopter come in and fly around. And it was just a really neat experience and really inspired me to, to do um, something in the, the military, right? Like it was, it was almost like this weird calling. Um, although I was not the stereotypical high school young woman that was going to be on that path. I mean, I twirled batons. I was actually a, a championship baton twirler um, when I was younger and a cheerleader and a dancer. Um, but I think that it's a great story to illustrate that there isn't one right path for anyone, right? We can kind of choose our own path if we believe in ourselves and, and, and our capabilities. So, um, even though I didn't fit the typical mold of what you might think would grow up to be a combat pilot and a leader, um, I definitely demonstrated that we don't have to fit inside of a mold and we can kind of chart our own course. Okay. Well, I have an interesting story for you. Um, a yeah. friend of mine from the Naval Academy was actually um, the pilot on Marine Corps One, and he happened to be the pilot on a fateful day that Vice President Dick Cheney happened to shoot someone while he was out hunting. And so he said um, Vice President Cheney didn't talk a lot to begin with, but he said in this particular situation, He sat in the back, didn't really um, acknowledge anyone, was clearly um, distraught about what happened. But during their landing into the National Observatory, they were facing 30 to 40 mile per hour um, gusts. And he said it was one of the most harrowing landings that that they've ever done. They tried to convince him that they didn't want to do it. And he demanded, no, you're taking me down. And he said it was probably the most frightful uh, 15, 20 minutes of his flight career ever. Um, So interesting story. Um, I think um, they probably should have just gone to Andrews and uh, taken a, um, having been on a number of harrowing helicopter flights myself, it's not a fun situation, but it, it, it led me to, to want to ask you during your time as a pilot, I know you've got 3000 plus hours 
Can you talk about a harrowing experience that you had in the cockpit? Oh my goodness. I've had quite a few. <laughs> I flew Learjets, uh, C-21s, but I happened to fly them in Europe and Africa and the Middle East because um, I was stationed at Germany at the time. So I've got, gosh, qu quite a few interesting stories. Um, and, and I was over there during September 11th and just how the world changed and, and in fact, flying an American aircraft right around the world. Um, then I flew C-130s, combat tactical airlifters, and then as, uh, also KC-10 um, tankers. But I, I will say probably my most harrow harrowing experience is coupled with the most rewarding deployment I think I had. I don't know if you felt this way, but you spend a lot of time training. And I felt when they said, hey, it's your turn to deploy and go contribute and do your part. It was, yes, send me. I'm ready. This is what I've been training for is to go contribute in this real world way. So I was super excited about my first deployment in the, the C-130 uh, to, to Kuwait, which meant most of our missions were in and out of Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, and there was one night where we actually flew the first group of Iraqi army soldiers from Baghdad to Basra. Um, it happened to be one of those evenings where there were thunderstorms everywhere. And if you know anything about the C-130, it flies low and slow. And so we don't fly over thunderstorms because we don't fly that fast or high. It's more like got to pick your way through it with your weather radar. And unfortunately on this evening, it was a high priority mission. We had media there because it was the first time these, uh, the Iraqi army was going to get on an a mili a American military aircraft. Many of them had never flown before. And of course, uh, everything that could possibly go wrong on that mission was going wrong. Um, first, we took off. Uh, we did get struck by lightning. We lost our generators, which in the C-130E model, if you lose a generator and you can't get it back online, it's attached to the engine. There's no disconnect. So you, you have to shut down the engine. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> more dangerous things could happen if that dead generator is still spinning. Um, luckily, we did get three of our generators back online. So we only had to end up shutting down one engine. So it was a little bit of a, a hairy situation, but it was so bumpy. And of course, these poor Iraqi soldiers had never flown on a C-130 before. They were lighting up cigarettes, which of course is also like a no-no on a military aircraft. They, we have uh, manila envelopes with a puke bag that's inside of it. They're secured under every seat. Instead of grabbing the, the, the plastic bag out of it to vomit in the plastic bag, they were vomiting inside the manila envelopes, um, which obviously <laughs> was not very cleanly. Um, I mean, it was just one of those crazy uh, events where when you get back on the ground, like there's flight crew information files that go out the next day about, please don't let your passengers smoke on the aircraft. <laughs> please remind them like how to use the proper um, uh, vomit bags. Um, but I have to say like at the time, although it was like this kind of everything that could go wrong was kind of going wrong. It really put our, our crew to the test and we came through it on the other side. We were able to handle everything that came our way, um, in a very professional manner because we were so well-trained. And also I like to say, because I had this mindset of grit and determination and also staying focused, no matter like how many people are throwing things that you solve my problem. Like as aircraft commander, sometimes it can be overwhelming. And so being able to focus on what's most important. Um, but additionally, I really appreciated that mission because as we were 
interacting with the Iraqi army, it was like those individuals that chose to stand on that side, right? Because there were um, different sides they could have chosen to have a weapon in their hand that shooted me or pointed at me or have a weapon in their hand that's pointed with me. Um, and so it was kind of like a very rewarding mission to, to kind of fly and see through that first uh, airlift of, of army troops that were supporting our side, or we were supporting actually their side um, in that conflict. So it was... Um, Overall, probably, like I said, I have so many, like you probably do, crazy, interesting stories, but that was one that I will uh, never forget. Well, I, I think you, you'll like this story. I had um, Marine Corps Major um, Katie Higgins Cook on the podcast uh, last year, and I'm not sure if you know who she is, but she was <laughs> the first Blue Angels pilot, and she flew the uh, Fat Albert. So awesome. nice to see the C-130 have a first with the Blue Angels. Um, Absolutely. The C-130 is such a great plane as I got to fly sexy, fancy, speedy jets. And um, I will always have a soft spot for the C-130E model. It was just a workhorse. And, you know, you can land that thing in the dirt. You could take off on short strips. You could duct tape it. We'll make it home. It was a very forgiving aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my time on them. I just could never believe the size of the cockpit. Um, which is probably the biggest of any plane I've ever been in. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I I wanted to ask you about how you incorporated mindfulness into the military, because having been in the military myself, unless you were with a specialized team uh, like the Green Berets or a Ford Observer or a a SEAL, you, you typically wouldn't find people concerned about mindfulness. In fact, it might be the last thing that a person in the military with with such type A personalities would want to focus on. So how did you introduce that? What was the backdrop to it? Yeah, that's a really interesting story. The foundation of where my work started, it was really out of self-necessity. I was in a place where as I looked around like midway of my career, as I was leading teams, as I was looking at my peers, even trying to find someone above me that looked like me or had a very similar uh, path or just goals, it was challenging. And even though there was one moment in my life where I literally had everything I thought I ever wanted, um, I didn't have happiness and joy. And I really looked around one day and was just like, why can't I see the laughter? I kind of forgot how to laugh. I can't see the love that's literally right in front of my face. And I like to say I'm a recovering perfectionist because I was constantly battling with this idea of having to be perfect at everything. And I think the military is an environment where, you know, we definitely thrive on that, those high performing spaces. We thrive on accomplishment. We are like, go, go, go. We're in the hustle. And we forget that there's value in slowing down, that there's actually ways to find joy along our journey. And it was kind of like this aha moment for me where I realized if I wanted to continue to succeed, I had to find a new path where I didn't have to sacrifice my health and relationships in pursuit of accelerating my professional success. And so right around the same time I was having this epiphany in my own journey, the Air Force sent me back to school to get my PhD. So that was kind of like, you get to solve a big problem, study it, research it. And so really my dissertation focused on how do you build the most effective human weapon system to execute the military's high-stress mission? 
And in that process, how do you find like thriving and joy and happiness? And that's really where I found and discovered we can train three things as human beings to prepare ourselves for those stressful environments and to prepare ourselves to be high performing. And that means we can train our body, which we all know we have physical uh, conditioning programs. We can train our craft, which we also know very well, especially in the military, we spend extensive amounts of time honing our specific job skill set. And then we can train our minds. And that was something that I realized up to that point, I'd been in the military for about 13 years and no one had ever told me how to train my mind um, in preparation for these types of experiences. And a lot of it is built out of, you know, just the experience, the growth, right? We train all of those things, but it was an incomplete strategy without a deliberate and intentional focus on training and preparing your mind. And I know a lot of what you talk about in your, your podcast is being intentional about the way we prepare ourselves and the way that we live our lives. And I had never been intentional in that space. And when I looked at the science, the evidence and the research, I realized that not only was I missing that in my life, but the entire military wasn't focusing in that space. Now, maybe you would have like a leader somewhere that understood that and would train or use that with their organization or some specialty teams, um, like we talked about with the SEALs, but the general population of the military was not a topic we, we discussed. And what I found in the research is that mindfulness is the most effective tool I equate mindfulness to doing mental push-ups. So just like you would do push-ups for your body to be physically ready and prepared for challenges, we need to do those same push-ups with our mind. Um, and that's really how I've been effective in sharing it and teaching it across the military is it's not just about this idea of like self-compassion and meditation, which are all great things, but it's not that message that really resonates with the warfighter. The warfighter wants to be badass. We want to be high performing. And if we equate it to train your body, train your craft, train your mind, I think that that message really resonates so that we can prepare ourselves in a holistic way for the adversity we will face. Yeah. It sounds like you and I had something very similar um, happen to each one of us, although under very different circumstances, I had been out of the military for a, a, a bit of time and I had been working for Fortune 100 companies. I was in what I would have considered at that point in time to be my dream job at that point in my life, which was the CIO at Dell. But I was working 100 to 120 hour weeks. I was traveling two weeks of the month, mostly to different continents. When I was home, I was up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning to kind of catch Asia and hit Europe. Then I would have this short period of time with the family. And then I was back to work um, because I had 15,000 employees that were in India. So I reached this point where I got so consumed with the hustle culture and the grind that I started to become numb and just started to, everything starts breaking down. Your physical health gets worse. Your mental health gets worse. Your relationships break down because your mind is never present. It's always focused on a million things. And I think today, so many people in the world are facing these same issues. So if you're someone who was in that position that I was in right now, and they might be feeling apathetic, lonely, 
helpless. What do you tell people as a starting point on how to break free from it? Yeah, it's very challenging, um, especially when our culture and our society actually rewards, right? That type of work and behavior. I like to think, um, or this term competitive stress environment really resonates with me because I feel no matter if it's just being a mom, you feel like you're in this competitive stress. Are my kids doing enough things? What is that mom doing? Am I Pinteresting like the birthday parties? And how is my social media um, seen with, with other people? And then in the workplace, we're constantly doing that. And so it feeds off each other, right? And, and you get rewarded for it. So some people don't even realize that they're in that space when they're there. I like to think that most people have a pressure point or a, a suffering, an amount of suffering where change will then be uh, needed in order to uh, alleviate um, some of that pain. So I like to say I plant seeds because what I talk about is not for everybody at that time in their life. But you mentioned a lot of people do realize in your journey, you hit a point where you're just like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. There's got to be a better way. And the the best thing I can tell people is you have to make it deliberate and intentional. And it has to be with just as much emphasis as you do those other things in your life. It's not easy. And I get this all the time. Like, what's the quick fix in the hack? Dr. McCauley, teach me what's the one thing I need to know, right? That's going to solve all these problems for me. And unfortunately, it takes discipline and hard work. This is not easy. If everybody could emotionally regulate, right? And live more present and stay more focused and not listen to the crazy voices inside their heads, um, we would have a totally different society, right? The, the sheer fact of the matter is, is that this is a challenging skill set. You know, I like to ask, like, do you feel like you command your mind does it, or does your mind command you? Um, many times we will make a decision or have a thought process lead us down a path. And then we sit back and say, how did I get here? This is not where I intended to be. And so that's where we let our thoughts and our mind control us. And so learning to take back that control to control our thoughts and change our behaviors, right? Because everything starts with our thoughts, which then, you know, create our actions, words, and behaviors. Um, If we can get command of those thoughts, command of your mindset, you can really change your outcome. Um, But again, you have to be ready to do the work. So that what that work includes uh, and the best place to start is with what I call mindful minutes. Um, You know, mindfulness is that mental exercise that helps our mind stay more focused in the moment and in the present instead of, you know, catastrophizing about the future or worrying and regretting over the past. And so the more you practice these mental pushups, the more you hone your attention system to stay focused on what's right in front of you. It's kind of like we all read a page in a book and you get to the bottom and then you think, I don't even remember what I just read. <laughs> or, right, like you've probably driven your car someplace at one point and you get to your destination and you're like, I don't even remember what roads I took to get here. So you were having an off task thought during an ongoing task or activity, right? You're trying to read the book or drive your car and your mind wanders. Then our minds are fantastic at mental time travel. In fact, they do it almost 50% of our waking moments. They are mind wandering. We're, and, and mind wandering means going someplace that you are not telling it to go, right? Like you are, you are saying, I want to read the page in the book, but your mind, right. Takes you elsewhere. And the research tells us that the majority of the time we mind wander in that manner, we 
tend to start thinking about those worries and those regrets and the stressors in our life and our overwhelm. So a wandering mind is actually an unhappy one. So if we can decrease the amount of wandering, we can actually increase like our contentment, joy, and happiness. Um, so the act of doing mental push-ups, or what I equate to just doing mindful minutes, because it can be as easy as one minute at a time. If I tell you, Hey, you have John, you have to sit for 10 minutes every morning and do your mental push-ups. You might do it for a day, maybe two days. And then you're going to be like, I can't do this or I'm doing it wrong or it's too long life events, right. Uh, uh, become overwhelming. But if I tell you, you just have to do one minute, right. And try to do one minute in intervals where otherwise you would just be sitting there, right. Like if you're waiting in line somewhere, we have a automated response to pull out our phones. Well, instead of pulling out your phone, do a mindful minute, then pull out your phone and be intentional about the things that you're doing instead of mind wandering through opening your phone and scrolling through email or Facebook or whatever it is. If you're sitting at a red light, you can do a mindful minute right at that, at that red light. And all it really um, requires is for you to focus intently on your breathing, right? You focus on a particular sensation, maybe the air going in and out of your nostrils or the rise or fall of your belly or chest, but you focus intently on that sensation for an entire minute. And every time your mind wanders, cause it will in the span of a minute, you just recognize that you're wandering. Cause that's the thing. We don't recognize it fast enough. So you're training your mind to recognize the distraction and then refocusing back onto your breath. And every time you lose focus and refocus, that is a mental push-up, right? Strengthening your mind to be more on the play button of your experience. Well, I like your definition of the mindset minutes because um, on my YouTube channel, I have a whole section that I call mindset moments. And I, I try to do two to three minute short videos, either they're my videos or I capture them off these interviews because a lot of people don't want to sit through a, an hour long interview. They want you know, that golden nugget uh, that you can get in a short period of time. So I, I try to showcase those as well. Um, well, I wanted to ask along the lines we were talking about, what is the difference, do you think, between somebody who believes that you can change and somebody who believes that you can't? Well, our mindset is very powerful. Um, if you tell yourself that you can't change, you're right, right? If you tell yourself you can change, you also can be right. Um, we talk a lot about in our training programs and the work that I do with uh, but between corporate America, as well as the military, law enforcement, healthcare, we focus on individuals who operate in these high stress environments where you have to make split second decisions. And a lot of those split second decisions, they come from your thought patterns. They come from your ability to stay in the moment and focus, but they also come from the things you tell yourself when you're doing hard things. And that's where confidence comes from. We know from the research that confidence in a high stress moment comes from one place only, and that's what you tell yourself. And so if you tell yourself that this life is really stressful, I cannot make any changes, then that's really the mindset that you're going to have. And it will be very difficult, right, to then combat that when that's the prevailing thought pattern. Yet if you can switch 
that, that phase. And it works in a lot of different, like, this is why you have to train your mind in a deliberate way, because if you are in a moment that's very stressful for you, there are a lot of things that are going to go on. Your sympathetic nervous system is going to activate, right? Your heart rate's going to start um, racing. You're going to get sweaty palms and then thoughts are going to start popping into your head. And here's one example. When say a young person goes for an athletic event or say to take a test, that sympathetic nervous system automatically goes off. And the immediate thought inside their head is my body is telling me I'm nervous. I can't do this. Right. I'm sure you've experienced that. I know I had experienced that many times in my career, flying airplanes, doing hard things, getting up in front of an audience to speak, right. Your body activates and you think to yourself, I'm nervous. This moment's too big. I can't do it. I'm not prepared. Right. And most of that is because Ever since we were little kids, we were taught and trained that those butterflies mean nerves. When in fact, the science behind our activation is that it just tells us that we're about to do something important. We're about to do something that we as a human being have assigned meaning to. And because of that, our body activates in preparation for it. But the second we start then having the negative thought patterns, we actually get overactivated. And then we aren't in the best position to, to be uh, able to change or able to perform at our best. And so what we like to train people on is when you feel those sensations to rewire the words and phrases you say to yourself. And one way you do that is through confidence building and using like a confidence mantra is what I would call it. So what do you say to yourself when you're about to do difficult and challenging things? Now, most people will say, well, I rely on my experience in those moments to tell myself, okay, well, I can do this because I've done it before. But what if you haven't done that exact thing before? Where do you get the confidence in those moments? And that's where a confidence mantra that sounds something like, well, I can adjust because I've adjusted when hard things have happened to me that I didn't plan for and I've made it through. So therefore, what's the difference in this scenario? I know I can adjust or my family's mantra. We use, I can do difficult things. And so my kids, if they're facing a challenge, whether it's mountain biking or there are other athletic activities or taking a test, I have, we've conditioned ourselves for when we feel out activated, we tell ourselves, this is just my body saying, I'm, I'm uh, excited about this because it's important to me. And I know I can do difficult things. So I'm going to bring my best self to this moment. And all of these, so that's why all of these things kind of work together, these mindset skills, and we have to deliberately train our mind in a very proactive way in order for them to be most effective in those high stress moments. Okay. Well, I think that was a great answer to that. Um, and I'm going to take us down a little bit of a different track. Yep. Um, I wanted to ask you because you were a leader in the military. Now you're a leader in the civilian world. You work with a lot of high achievers across all of that. So why do you think people who are world-class in whatever they do are paragons of passion? That's a very interesting question. I think we found from a lot of the research when someone clearly understands who they are instead of what they do, um, they're more able to show up as their full self, as their highest performing self, especially when pressure is applied to the situation. And I think that that kind of goes to speak to this anchor inside our passions, right? If you don't know what makes you, you, what sets your soul on fire, right? What 
gives you the ability um, to persevere, right? Because grit is where passion and perseverance, right? In pursuit of long-term goals. And what we found is that most people think that perseverance is the hardest thing. Like, oh yeah, people know what they're passionate about, but actually it's real passion that then creates the perseverance, those challenging and long-term situations that is the harder thing, right? People really figuring out who they are, what makes them tick, what gets them up in the morning is really a, a challenging and difficult thing. But when you find it, that's where like this magic happens is I'm sure your whole podcast is resonating in this idea that when you figure that out, magic can happen, right? Like there's a spark inside of you. Um, and so uh, we found that at the way that we kind of train that and use that self-discovery uh, development in our mental skills training is around this idea of what is your personal philosophy? What is a way that articulates and clearly articulates who you are and what you're about, not just what you do. And as you know, I struggled with this for a portion of my career and many military folks, many uniformed occupations struggle with it because you wear a uniform, you're on display like this is who I am, right? I'm a pilot, which is not true, right? Like I happen to be someone who flies airplanes, right? That's what I do, but that not that is not necessarily who I am. And we mix up those definitions, I think, within ourselves. And that's why I think we have a lot of veterans who struggle with separating or retiring and taking off the uniform. Our law enforcement, you know, brothers and sisters also suffer from this is that they feel lost because they don't really understand who they are anymore because it was so tied to that profession and that uniform. So that's part of our work too, is helping people really figure out who they are, what that passion is, what that personal philosophy is. And that really translates and transcends across no matter what hat they're wearing. Like when I'm a mom, my, my passion and personal philosophy are the same as when I'm a leader or when I'm a pilot, um, because it's who I am, not just what I do. We'll be right back to our episode with Dr. Janelle McCauley. Our next partner, Coda, has a product I use daily with my dispersed teams. It takes a lot to run a media company and put on a podcast like this. And it's great that I'm able to work from anywhere. But do you know what's not great? Having teams spread out across the world who I need to keep all on the same page. And that is why I am such a huge fan of Coda. If your work is like mine and spread out across documents, spreadsheets, and a bunch of workflow tools, then Coda is going to be perfect for you. It helps how I'm able to view information and make changes just once that show up everywhere. With Coda, you can solve for just about anything. And right now, you can get started with having your own team all work together. Head over to coda.io slash passionstruck. That's C-O-D-A dot I-O to get started for free. Coda.io slash passionstruck. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Coinbase. And if you're like me, investing in cryptocurrency felt at first like a secret or an exclusive club. I know I felt a bit overwhelmed and using Coinbase makes learning to buy and sell so simple. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and millions of people in over 
100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. For a limited time, new users can get $10 in Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash passionstruck. Sign up at coinbase.com slash passionstruck for $10 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for only a limited time, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash passionstruck. And again, we know how difficult it is to remember all these promo codes, so we put them in one convenient place at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to our episode with Dr. Janelle McCauley. Yeah, I was on a podcast last week. Um, the interviewer is actually in Barcelona, so that was kind of a unique experience. But she asked me about what you were just talking about. Um, why does so many military get out and then they seem lost? And I kind of tried to explain it to her that when you're in the service, especially let's say you're in a tight unit or you're in an infant, infantry field, whatever it may be, you've got this band of people around you who are kind of keeping you in check. They're making you perform to your highest level and you don't want to let them down because you're going to have to go to combat with them or, or something else. And I said, a lot of times when you leave, you lose that, that band that's around you, that support structure that's pushing you to be your best self. And you kind of just feel this void. So I said um, to her, luckily for me, I was mentally strong when I left and I had a smoother landing because I went to work for Booz Allen and a lot of the people I was working with were in the military, but it can be difficult because one second, um, you've got all this support structure around you. You've got people who are giving you goals, encouraging you to do better, working out with you, et cetera. And then all of a sudden here, here's someone on their own left in the void. But I don't think it's just the military. I think a lot of people are feeling that way today. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. The military, I think also it's even harder because of what you were saying. Not only do you feel lost just with your own individual sense of self, but then you did lose the tribe that kind of also came with it. And the tribe, like it feeds into this idea, right? Because the tribe is, I have like my band of brothers that are pilots, or I have my team. And it so it, it does kind of feed into that concept of like what we are doing together is what's most important because you, you aren't really getting that sense of self and individual, right? Who am I and what makes me, um, me when you're on those teams and in those tribes, right? And so it just compounds, I think, that that issue when we do separate. But you're right. It's not isolated to just the military. A lot of our other service-oriented professions that wear uniforms struggle with that. And I think just COVID in general, like this last two years, have, has created a lot of uncertainty in a lot of people's lives um, as to kind of where they're going. And um, what we've just found from the research, and when you started the question with asking me some of those high performers that I've studied and worked with, what makes them able to do what they do? And one of those core concepts is being super secure in who they are, right? Not just defined by I'm a football player or I'm an Olympic athlete. Who am I as a person so that I can go out in difficult situations and challenging circumstances and know how to be my true self, right? The worst thing you want to do in those high pressure moments is have to have to think about who am I and how do I act and how do I build the right thoughts in these moments? Like you should have done all that work ahead of time in preparation for that intense situation. Yeah, I thought one of the best 
answers I've heard on this topic, because I, I don't know about you, but I hate in social circumstances when someone approaches you and says, what do you do? <laughs> because there's so many answers to it. You're a parent, you're a spouse, but I was listening to Hillary Swank talk uh, one day and she kind of got that answer. And she's like, I could give a ton of things. I'm an actress, I'm a producer, I'm this, I'm that. I'm a mom, but she said at the end of the day, um, what I am is a storyteller. And I don't care if that's expressing a story to my kids to teach them a lesson or to produce um, a film or other thing that I think needs to get out in the world. Or even when I'm acting, I'm doing my best to tell a story. And, and she, she put it around something that emotionally motivates her or calls her to want to serve others. So I I thought that that was a really good um, explanation um, and a little bit different than what you hear most people answer with. Yeah, absolutely. I would ask, there's two ways that, that I kind of get after that. One is by having a very clear purpose statement. So like my purpose statement is I help people achieve peak performance with a focus on passion, purpose, and presence. And When I was in the military as a leader, I could do that every day with my uniform on, leading people, interacting, mentoring. And when I got out of the military, that didn't change, right? My job now is to still help inspire other people to be their best. And when I'm not doing things, speaking on a podcast or traveling and and doing workshops or keynotes, I think that same thing is my goal every day with my kids, right? I am here to help inspire them to find passion, purpose, and presence in their life and help them be their best selves. So, and that's why when you understand the core of who you are, you, you actually take a lot of the difficultness inside decision-making out of the equation, right? Because you know how to be you and how to make decisions that are true to the direction and the values that are very clear. Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things, and Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site. It's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process, bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes. Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities. From scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates, it's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees, and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers, according to a recent survey, say Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash passionstruck. Just go to Indeed.com slash PassionStruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at PassionStruck.com slash deals. Now, back to PassionStruck. Clear um, to your integrity and your sense of self. And then the other, the other thing I like to do, I I do get, it drives me crazy when people say, what do you do for a living? Um, My favorite question to ask people is um, what's going good for you? 
even instead of just saying, Hey, how are you? I walk around the airport, you know, you meet the gate agent, you, the TSA, the, instead of just saying, Hey, how are you? I, you can't imagine how many people get thrown off with the question. What's going good for you? <laughs> like yeah. they're wait, what? Cause no, they're normally, yeah, good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm whatever. But when I actually deliberately ask them to think of something that's going good for them, right? It throws them off for a second, but it always makes people smile. And I feel like it's a great way to train optimism, right? Because now you're actually looking for the good, um, instead of the negative, which is where a lot of our minds tend to go. Yeah. One thing, uh, along those lines that I do every week is Friday morning. I journal every day, but Friday morning, I always ask myself this question, what can I celebrate from this week to start it off? And then my second question will be, what could I improve upon this week? And then the last question is, how can I be a more authentic person next week? And so I've been doing that now for a period of time. And I think it really does help you think about what's going good in your life. And no matter how good it's going, there are always things that you can improve on. So what are you going to be intentional about? going forward? And then how do you take those steps to do the work in the week to come? um, So you'll be mindful about it. So I agree with you there. Well, I wanted to shift. We talked about you being in the military. We talked a lot about um, mindfulness in the individual, but I think it's important to discuss what you're doing with many of the clients that you speak to. So I am currently seeing, um, a a pretty bad environment around engagement in companies. It seems like productivity is hitting all-time lows. People are distracted. Um, People are consumed with other things going on in their life. They're not being present in what they're doing. They're spontaneously engaging. Um, What do you think are some of the root causes of that? So we are a highly distracted just culture, our population is highly distracted. There's a lot of things that are just band-aid fixes. Um, you can give your employees a day off, right? Which obviously will kind of help reset, recover, recharge. But if you're not changing like the environment, the day-to-day environment, you're not going to see the long-term gains in that productivity, efficiency, increased focus uh, that you really need to see and you really need to have for your employees. Um, you know, there's been some research with respect to like that distraction. I said 50%, right. Of the, of our waking moments, were not actually in the present moment, um, which definitely causes errors in the things that we do. It causes us to, uh, perceptually decouple from what's going on in front of us. So if you're a leader and you're having a conversation with someone who works for you, you're really not paying attention. Um, and that can damage connection and relationships. Um, so there's a lot of factors that kind of play into this, uh, inability for us to stay focused and the high amounts of distraction. Um, and so with that, I think companies, and different organizations need to take a look at the leadership, right? First of all, the model behaviors that are creating the culture within their organization. And it can be as simple as things like the leader taking a mindful minute before a meeting. There's been research that 
you know, we are distracted when we walk into meetings. Maybe you just dropped off your kids at school. You had a crazy chaotic morning, you know, where you hit every red light and that's the, the storytelling inside your head. Your kids were bickering in the back seat. You were late, right? And you bring all of that into your meeting. And so we found that doing like a, a mindful minute as well as removing your cell phone from your body, right? Even just having it on your person distracts you by 20%, but it brings more of your attention to the focus of the task at hand, which would be that meeting. Um, and so there's just those little things you can do and you can set the tone as a leader by like not having the cell phones in doing, you don't even have to call it a mindful minute. I've had some organizations, we call it a cognitive preparation, right? We're going to cognitively prep before this meeting by just taking a minute to sit back take, take some deep breaths. And then now everybody's attention is more focused, right. On whatever task is about to come from that, that meeting and at that table. Um, so there's just those little things. I mean, I get a lot of people tend to go into these deep cycles of mind wandering where mind is mentally hijacked and time traveling and you aren't paying attention to your kids. And so all day at work, you feel like, how you, you think about how horrible you are at home. And then when you're at home, you're thinking about all the things you're missing out on at work or not doing right at work. And that is such a inefficient way to use our brain and our minds. And so wouldn't it be great if you could live where your feet are planted and when you're at work, be at work and when you're at home, be at home. And so mindful minutes can be great transition points to help you. And then as a leader, set the tone and the example um, whether that's the leader at home with your family or the leader at work, or even just the teammate that can influence people inside their three foot circle, we can use those types of mindful minutes to just reset our mindset, our attention in go from home to work or go from work to home. Like I have definitely found myself sending my kids inside and sitting in my car for a minute before I walk in, because if I don't do that, I don't create that deliberate right? Training of my mind to separate those two environments. I'm going to take all that baggage in with me, right? It's going to be sitting and, f- and kind of festering in my mind. And I do the same thing at the end of the day, kind of what you're just describing at the end of the week, asking myself two questions. What did I do well? And where can I improve? Because that's another thing. Like when we can't leave work, if we're still thinking about the things we failed at that day or uh, not celebrating our successes enough. And so that I call it like your, your end of day focus, where you take a couple deep breaths, you recite your personal philosophy of what's most important to you. And then you ask those two quick questions, do a digital dump is what I call check your phone one last time before you walk in with your family. So then you don't feel like there's something nagging on your digital device and then kind of do that mindful minute and walk inside. It can be very powerful because we are creatures of habit as human beings and we like boundaries. Uh, And so I really think COVID has blurred a lot of our lines and boundaries with work and home. And so now these mindful minutes can be a very deliberate and intentional way to separate those spaces. Yeah, I believe that the other aspect, in addition to what you're talking about, that companies are missing, you could refer to it as a passion struck culture, or I've got an upcoming interview with Claude Silver, who's the chief heart officer for her company. And I had never heard that chief heart officer, but when I started talking to her about it, we were actually talking about the same thing. It's heartfelt leadership. And I think one of the things that is missing today, and I found it when I was in these large organizations, is that 
people feel so disconnected from whatever it is that they're doing from their work and how is that benefiting anyone that serves the company? And so to me, a big portion of this is that you have to get the person passion struck about the mission that they're serving and that what they're doing, whether it be in the military or in a business is impacting shareholders. It's impacting customers. It's impacting internal employees at the company and that you're making a difference and that it matters, whether you're in a call center, whether you're an air traffic controller, regardless of what it is, if you don't have a line of sight that shows that what you're doing is significant, it's going to be hard to feel heartfelt about what you're doing. And that leads me to someone who is very heartfelt about what he does, which is Pete Carroll. And I happened uh, to be rereading um, Grit by Angela Duckworth uh, a few weeks ago. And as I was um, originally discovering you, I read the whole section in how everything that Pete does is really teaching his players how to have grit. But even more than that, how do you have a mindset of winning? And so I thought it was just remarkable that you have a relationship with Pete and have actually developed um, a training program with him. So I was hoping you could talk about that. Yeah. So the interesting thing about grit, I'll just um, share this with you. Angela Duckworth had given her TED talk and um, Pete had watched it. And she kind of alluded to this idea that, you know, you can't really train grit. And he was hold up. Like we're, we're training it. We're doing it here at the Seahawks. They're partnering less gritty individuals with grittier individuals. And we're showing that the less gritty does not drag the other one down, right? It's the gritty person will bring the, the elevate the less gritty individual through that repetitive exposure um, to that, to that kind of perseverance and passion um, around something. And uh, so anyway, that's kind of like how he ended up connecting with Angela and kind of some of the storytelling in in the book. Pete is a great example of someone who really understands that when you're your best and you're your best and you're your best and you lock arms together, you can really make an unstoppable team that can be very effective in achieving those goals and working, um, you know, providing that hard work that's required. Well, I, I just thought it's, was so inspirational to hear the way, like you're saying that he partners people up. And I happened to interview um, a player who was his first round draft pick in the first year that he was there. And that, that player coming out of college and telling me, you know, as he was being coached by Pete, he started to understand why USC had been such a successful program uh, because he learned so much self-confidence and intentionality and everything that he was doing to be a better player every single day, to be better for his teammates, to be better for himself, to reach beyond himself into the community, to learn, you know, what was happening in Seattle, how he could be a part of it and really be in service of others instead of just being a football player in service of self. So I I really think a lot about what uh, Pete is doing and how he's inspiring his players. Well, yeah. Yeah. He also, I'll just uh, caveat that with love is a big word for Pete and love and heart, like having heart in what you do, genuinely showing care and concern for everybody on the team and making it like 
a concept that if you want to be on the team, you got to learn how to like love each other, um, which is a very strong emotion and one that is usually not equated in a lot of sports. And so I think that's also been really innovative in the way that he is kind of transformed some of the mindsets uh, in elite athletics. Yeah, I think love is kind of like Christmas in a way. And where I'm going to go with this, because it's probably not an analogy you typically uh, <laughs> you, you would typically think about, is I remember there were a number of years where I was just so busy at work that I didn't have time to get the kids the Christmas presents or participate as much as I would want in it. And I remember those Christmases for me were the most disappointing because I think the more you put into it and being thoughtful about what you're doing for the other one other person, and then seeing the joy by, you know, your thought process and get them, getting them that gift. To me, that's more rewarding than, than any gift you get. And I think love is kind of the same way because you, you get out of it, what you put into it. And if you're not giving love, you can't expect to give it, to get it back or not in the same way that you want. So Mm -hmm. I've been reading this book, uh, transcend, which is kind of the uh, Abraham Maslow 2.0, and they have a whole section on uh, this topic of be love. And it, it's really all around that, that if you want to, to be loved, you want to feel connected, you want to have these relationships, whether it's with a partner or, or others, then you have got to give it out the same way that you want it to come back in the universe, or it's not going to happen. So I think that's great. I didn't know that aspect of them. Yeah, for well, sure. For sure. I love, I love that you shared that analogy too. I think that makes perfect sense. And I think that's the, the other innovative way that I've been trying to transform the military culture is away from this like GI Joe, everybody gets the same training. Everybody's the same person, right? Like a uh, tight mentality that worked for a time and a very necessary time, but with our all volunteer force what, and, and now all the things we know about performance and how people show up to be their best selves, especially when lives are on the line and having to make split second decisions, this idea that like you can be your best self and I, as a leader can help get that out of you through a focus on figuring out more about who you are showing care and concern and love talking about these topics that were normally taboo one point and how we led teams, especially in the military. I think that's really what's going to transform the individual's ability to feel like they, Maslow would say, right, they have belonging and they have this pride in what they do so that they can be self-actualized and high-performing, especially in the most intense circumstances. Yeah, it's really um, emotional optimism in in many ways. Absolutely. well, Janelle, um, I wanted to give you a chance to, to tell the audience um, if they're interested in learning more about you. And of course, I'll put this in the show notes. How can they do so? Yes, thank you. So I have a website, uh, JanelleMacaulay.com, where you can learn more about my journey and the work that I do. I do provide keynotes and workshops and trainings for different organizations. Um, and um, my latest training is called Command Your Mindset, where we really talk through how you can accelerate your professional success without having to sacrifice your health and relationships um, along the path. And uh, additionally, the Warrior's Edge course, my collaboration with Pete 
Carroll, as well as Dr. Michael Gervais can be found um, at the compete to create.net website backslash warrior's edge. Um, or if you just Google warrior's edge in my name, it will come up. Um, but that is, we offer that course as a live training eight hour uh, facilitated by myself or an elite military operator on our team, as well as an Olympic athlete. So we'll come into your organization and share about how to build a high performance mindset by teaching you the 16 principles of mindset that you can train. And we also have a digital course. So it's self-paced and online for anyone interested in taking the warrior's edge curriculum. Um, but yeah, it's just been such a joy to, to talk to you today, to have this conversation and I'm on all the social media um, different platforms. Although I will say I have a very healthy relationship with social media because I know how it can control our mind and dominate our thought patterns. So, um, but I do try to share and post whether it's uh, transformational content about how to kind of find your best self, um, or some of the latest research and everything human performance. Okay. Well, I always end the, the episode by just asking a couple, just very quick questions, whatever comes to your mind. So um, I've had a number of astronauts in this program. And so a question I came up with is if you were an astronaut selected for Artemis and you got this opportunity to go to Mars and they said you could implement a law, a guiding principle for the rest of humanity on Mars, what would it be? I would want to create a culture where doing mental push-ups is just part of our day to day, nobody thinks strangely or looks at you funny. If you say, Hey, I'm going to do my mental pushups before I continue. Um, that would be the culture I would want to create. It's an everyday thing that we just do that minute of uh, a mental pushup become standard. If we were to start a culture where even the youngest among us were doing that on a day-to-day basis, we could really transform how we communicate, how we emotionally regulate and how we make decisions as a group. And probably also help port um, suicides between 14 and 19 year olds being the fourth leading cause of death worldwide. Absolutely. Uh, so the second question would be, you get to fill in as the guest on the Late Late Show and you're doing um, car karaoke. Who would you want to have in the car with you to do it? Oh, my goodness. Um, I... Oh, there's so many like names that are coming to my mind right now. Um, I would actually love to be in the car with Adele. (laughs) I think she would be so fascinating to not only talk to, but to um, just be in the presence of such an amazing talent uh, because singing is not my talent. So we'll need somebody to like cover up my portion of of the singing. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things I love about Adele is um, I don't think she thinks she's that special. (laughs) And I think that really speaks to how great she really is. Yeah. Um, Okay. So two, two more fun ones. Um, If you could meet anyone that you've never met before and they could be a person who's deceased from hundreds of years ago or someone who's alive today, who would you like to meet? I would actually, that's an easy one for me. I would love to meet Gandhi, to be honest, his, uh, like even my Peloton name is be the change. Um, I just love like his, that belief, that philosophy that the change starts from within. And it's been kind of a guiding principle for me really realizing that 
even when I feel alone, like I am the only one. Right. And there was a moment where I felt like I was the sole person in the entire military beating a drum about breathing and mindfulness and, and focus. And it took a lot of continuous courage and strength, right. To, to fight against the naysayers and the people who were questioning my methods. Um, and I just kept thinking like, what is the right thing to do and how can I be the change. And so I would love to talk to uh, Gandhi about just where, how he came to be, who he is and how he kind of created those movements. So. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great to have a fireside chat with Gandhi and Mandela? Oh my goodness. Probably be (laughs) a lot to unpack right there. Okay. And then, and then um, we have a, a, recommended book list that's on the passion struck site and it's books that that i really enjoy reading and then i like to get them from the guests too and i'll add them to it Uh, what's a book that you would recommend for the listeners oh my gosh my number one top favorite book is man's search for meaning by victor frankel i don't know if that's already on your list because i i'm i'm wondering if i'm the first person that mentioned it you actually are (laughs) No way. Oh my gosh. So you have to add it to your list then. Um, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl. It's it's a uh, not a very big book. It's pretty short. He talks about his experience. He was a Holocaust survivor. He survived three different concentration camps. And he was also like a neuroscientist who is really interested in this idea of like what made people survive the experience and what made others not. And so the first part of the book is his story um, from that time in his life. And then the second part of the book is his analysis of what he learned. And it is fascinating. And I think it puts every reader just in this driver's seat of really figuring out what's most important to them. So I really think if you haven't read it, you should, it will fit in. I think with a lot of the things you talk about with finding passion, like where, where do you find that meaning um, in your life, especially when things are not going well for you. Right. And kind of dire circumstances. Um, So by far. Yep. And then I will also put a plug in for Mike and Pete's book, which is called compete to create. Um, It's on audible. um, And uh, it really talks about the philosophies behind a lot of the work that we do. Okay. Well, great. Well, Janelle, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, I know the audience is going to love this and we unpacked a lot. We absolutely did. This was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for having me, John. What a great interview that was with Dr. Janelle McCauley. And I wanted to highlight a couple of the episodes that we brought up today. The first was episode 20 with Katie Higgins-Cook, who was the first female Blue Angels pilot. And then we discussed episode 101 with Claude Silver, who is the chief art officer at VaynerX. And if there's a guest who you would like to see me interview, like today's, you can always reach out on Instagram at John R. Miles or on LinkedIn at John Miles. And if there is a topic which you would like to hear me discuss for my Momentum Friday episodes, you can reach out at Momentum Friday at passionstruck.com and drop us an email with your suggestions or questions. And I'm so enthusiastic about where this podcast is going, surpassing over 500,000 downloads in just 13 months, and now being ranked in the top 0.1% of all podcasts with over 4,000 five-star ratings. Thank you for making all of this possible and helping us create intentionality throughout the world. Now go out there and live life passion struck. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of our show is to make passion go viral. And we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential. 
you want to hear more, please subscribe to the Passion Struck Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And if you absolutely love this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes and you sharing it with three of your most growth-minded friends so they can post it as well to their social accounts and help us grow our Passion Struck community. If you'd like to learn more about the show and our mission, you can go to passionstruck.com where you can sign up for our, our newsletter, look at our tools, and also download the show notes for today's episode. Additionally, you can listen to us every Tuesday and Friday for even more inspiring content. And remember, make a choice, work hard, and step into your sharp edges. Thank you again for joining us. 